Hello, and welcome back to the special Veterans Day episode of Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm your host, Melina Suniga, and I'm accompanied by a very special guest today who is going to co-host this episode with me. Before she introduces herself, I just want to say that everything you'll hear on today's episode can also be found on the City of Chandler's YouTube because my co-host works alongside me within the video production division. And while you're listening to the audio, there are also videos to accompany this audio. Co-host. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Julie Carpenter, and I am lucky enough to work with Melina. And I'm just excited to be co-hosting today. I love it. So Julie was tasked with gathering stories for Veterans Day this year because there's a lot going on. We are and have been celebrating veterans with events all month long, and today, actually, there will be a ribbon cutting at Veterans Oasis Park for the Field of Honor Monument, a space for remembrance and reflection. There's a lot of different elements that went into the design of this space, and we'll get into that later, but what I wanted to talk about first was the U.S. Air Force Sabre Dog F-86D Korean War era jet plane that was formerly on the corner of Delaware Street and Chandler Boulevard. And before that, it was in downtown Chandler. But when did it first get to Chandler and why? The F-86D Sabre Dog arrived in Chandler in 1961. It was on loan to us as the city of Chandler from the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force, and it still is today. We have to renew that loan every year. And it was to signify the close relationship between Williams Air Force Base and Chandler. Williams Air Force Base was located where Phoenix Gateway Airport is today. And the USO for the servicemen uh, stationed there was here in, in downtown Chandler. They came to Chandler for their recreation for movie theaters and restaurants and that kind of stuff. A lot of the officers' wives and families ended up moving to Chandler and living in Chandler while they were stationed here. So there's a strong bond between the two. And, and so the plane was to kind of commemorate that, that relationship. That was Nate Myers over at the Chandler Museum, who is just a walking encyclopedia about all things Chandler. And he goes on to talk about the renovation of Dr. A.J. Chandler Park in the 80s, which led to the plane's first move to Delaware Street and Chandler Boulevard. But why that location? That was a location where the servicemen who were stationed at Williams Air Force Base would sit and wait for a ride from people from town who were heading east towards the base. And in the 1970s, when Roel Navarrete was mayor, he actually had a shade structure erected for the servicemen so they didn't have to sit out there in the sun. That shade structure actually still stands there on that corner. The, the airplane symbolizes so much history and, and is such an important part of commemorating the service that veterans have given. And seeing it fall into disrepair, you know, it, it's, it's kind of gut-wrenching for some of them, um, understandably. And so to be able to restore it and, and make it look like new, we're really excited to do this and, and to really show pride in the history and, and show pride in the, the veterans we have in the Chandler community. That's a pretty neat way to commemorate our veterans here in Chandler. Julie, you were there when they moved the airplane to its now new home at Veterans Oasis Park. What did you think of the move and the symbolism of the plane? Well, let me start off by saying I didn't stay up late enough to watch the entire move down to the park. 
But I did watch the crane ever so slowly lift the plane off of its pedestal and onto the truck. And let me just say that was like super nerve wracking watching the super old plane getting put on this truck. It was just crazy. It has been just this landmark in Chandler for so many years, coming over in 1961. And I think it's very nostalgic to so many people. And just with it going over to Veterans Oasis Park at that memorial, um, it's just kind of the cherry on top to the memorial. So anyways, I think it's a perfect place for it to go. Why was it nerve-wracking to watch the move? You're looking at this plane, and at the time, they're renovating it now, but, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear on it. So, and it's been sitting up on that pedestal for so long. So, literally, as we were watching this huge crane lift it, you can even see it actually being lifted. It was going so slow. But once it separated from the connector piece, it just started swaying, you know, right when it, it got that release started swaying and I don't know it's it's just one of those things you don't want to drop it they they had to really make sure that yeah it was secured correctly um, and they they literally had kind of like one chance to do it right Mm -hmm. and thankfully they did it right they hired the right people and it was literally a historic event to be to there were families that were out there you know in the middle of the night watching the move so not a ton of families but enough families to notice. Yeah, and I know I had talked to you about people that had seen it and then like were posting it on Facebook. They were so sad that it was moving. I didn't know that there was like an audience when they were moving it. Yeah, there were definitely, I mean, there was a kid that was, I think she was 10 years old. So for sure, that's something she gets to tell her class about, you yeah. know, how her mom let her stay up late. <laughs> to watch, watch the, the plane. Of the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So talking about symbolism, I want to discuss the memorial and how it has all come into fruition. We talked to Mickey Olin, who is the community services planning manager, on his involvement throughout the entire process. We actually went and interviewed him at the memorial site on Veterans Oasis, so you'll hear construction going on in the back. So just bear with us. The Veterans Memorial Project here at the park got started actually back in 2008. Uh, Shortly after we completed the construction of the park, we began meeting with our local veterans and uh, residents to develop a concept for this unique project. One thing that we found that was consistent through all our public meetings was uh, one of the words and uh, ideas that was important to the veterans was the word freedom and the idea of freedom. And one of the the symbols that they thought was important that recognized uh, freedom or identified freedom was the American flag. So when you look at the memorial, you'll notice that the columns and plinths are laid out in the exact ratio of the American flag. It also represents soldiers marching in unison. And you'll notice that there's 21 of those cubes that are at ground level. And those are meant to recognize those veterans that went off to war, but did not come back. There are also six guiding principles that the veterans group decided to incorporate in the memorial, which include freedom, recognition for local, state, and national veterans, reflection, sacrifice, with blocks that disappear as the landform elevates to give the impression of soldiers leaving to protect our country, memories, with the opportunity to record memories within the blocks and walls of the memorial, and lastly, family 
with an overlooking upper level to metaphorically represent the watching over the family and country while the soldiers are away. Julie, I know you feel personally attached to this project because your father is a veteran and you also have other family members that have served in the military. What do you think this means to the Chandler community? And are those six guiding principles true to the memories that your family has had regarding their time serving? So there's this motorcycle ride that I've done a number of times. It's called Run for the Wall, and it actually started to help promote healing for veterans, all veterans, their families and their friends. And it emphasizes that no one should be left behind and you ride for those who can't. This starts in California and ends at the uh, Vietnam Memorial in D.C. And along the way, across the nation, it stops at all these various memorials. The vast majority of the writers are veterans, and they're from all different branches, from all different times, you know, of their service in the military. And just watching them at these memorials, seeing that pure visual emotion of them being there and of them all being together, it's just something that, like, I will never forget. So... Having a space like that in our very own Chandler community is just so incredibly important. And having that space at Veterans Oasis Park, it truly does represent those six guiding principles of freedom, family, recognition, reflection, memories, and especially sacrifice. Now, before this, there was a space dedicated to veterans, but I think this project really just took that and multiplied it by 10. And Mickey goes on to say that as they developed the design of the memorial. It was important to the veterans to have a place where they could come and reflect. And so we felt like incorporating this memorial into the existing Veterans Oasis Park was a good fit, seeing that the park itself is a very quiet park. It's not like your typical sports park or another park that you would find in Chandler. Until the completion of this project, the only place that we had where we recognized our veterans in the city was down in A.J. Chandler Park. And that was a small plaque area which commemorates the, our veterans. But we felt that honoring the veterans of Chandler and the East Valley and the United States was very important and we wanted to do something more grand. So Julie actually reached out to several veterans and gave them the opportunity to tell us their stories about their service. So can you talk a little bit about that process and how you think that went? Well, we don't really have a list of veterans in Chandler, like just readily at our fingertips. So with the help of the diversity, equity, and inclusion team, we were able to get a list of veterans that were willing to share their military service with us. Um, it was a good start, but I think that with the whole Veterans Commission that is being um, put together currently, uh, we'll have access to be able to share even more about our veterans moving forward. So that's something to look forward to. And I just think, although what one person we interviewed mentioned that Chandler has a lower percentage of veterans, but it's still thousands. We still have thousands of veterans in the Chandler area. And to be able to highlight them and honor them in various ways, it'll be good. We're excited to be able to do more of that. Yeah, and to look back at those interviews fondly and remember those veterans. What was the goal for you? What was the main goal that you wanted to get out of these interviews with these veterans? 
Everyone in the military, they take an oath swearing to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. They all committed their life to protect our freedoms that we live every day. Uh, the goal out of these interviews that we did was really just to get to know our veterans here in Chandler. And the goal out of all these interviews was really just to get to know our veterans here in Chandler who made that commitment to us and to take the time to recognize them and help remind our community that freedom isn't free. I can't say enough about our veterans and to be able to share their stories again and, you know, helps to educate us and, again, just honor them and their service. With that, I want to jump into the veteran that we'll be hearing from next. My name is Bob Dalpy. I served in the United States Air Force from 1978 to 1993. I was a weather forecaster. So, you know, when people say, do I know what the weather is? I don't anymore. I joined the Air Force because I honestly wanted to grow up, wanted to see the world, wanted to get away from people that I knew, my family. I was 19 years old living outside of Boston, living in a small farm outside of Boston. They do have farms there, far enough outside to have farms and animals. And I was going to school, was going to college, local community college, I was working. I wasn't getting a lot of family support. I was dating this girl and she goes, you should join the Navy. We broke up about four or five months later. I'm going, oh, she's right. I go down to the recruiting station and the recruiting station was basically four offices in a building. And I'm looking at the offices, I'm going across the street going, okay, you know, that's cool. Um, the Marines and the Army were in the back, and I just said, yeah, that's not going to be for me. I looked at the Navy, and they had this beautiful poster of this aircraft carrier sailing bravely in the middle of the ocean. And I said, no, I want my airfield to be near women and beer when I get off of work. So I went to the next door to the Air Force office. That is why I joined. That's the, really my thought process. They give you a test called the ASVAB which is basically see how see what you know. I scored high enough to have a, the weather as a choice. They go, security forces guarding B-52s in North Dakota, or I'll, I'll go to weather. And so weather was, it was a good choice for me. I'm a little chaotic by nature, so and weather's chaotic, so it, it worked out pretty well. I uh, ended up going into the Air Force, uh, going to San Antonio, Texas at Lackland Air Force Base. Air Force basic training is not very tough. And I admit, I came out in worse shape than I went in. From there, I went to Weather Observing School in Chinooda Air Force Base, Illinois. Spent uh, 14 lovely weeks there in the middle of winter, minus 70 degree below wind chills. That was great. Learned how to observe the weather and, you know, kind of saw a little bit of central Illinois in its winter wonderland finest. From there, I went up to upstate New York to a place called Griffiths Air Force Base in Rome, New York. Spent about 14 months at Griffiths Air Force Base. I wanted an Air Force Base six hours from home. So I could go back to Boston if I wanted to, but far enough, if I really didn't want to, I didn't have to. I spent 14 months there and I got orders to a place called Bitburg, Germany. It was also the only F-15 Air Force base in Europe at the time. And the F-15 was the brand new fighter aircraft that everybody wanted to fly. I was stationed at Bitburg for about 30 months. Out of that time, I spent six months out of Germany. From there, I went back home. I decided I was gonna get out of the service, try to see if I could make it a go back in, near my family. I joined the National Guard, did that for about eight months, and I said, you know, I should leave. So I left again. I rejoined the Air Force active duty, went down to a place called Herbert Field, Florida, Special Operations Wing there, right along the beach. So it was a horrible place to be stationed at. It was, I was there for about 16 months. I uh, was still as a weather observer. And at the time, you had to go to a separate school to become a weather forecaster. 
six months back in beautiful central Illinois. Weather forecasting school there. Um, I got orders to a place called Grafenbeer, Germany. Now for the army types, that's a place of training and they get mud and snow and cold and dirty. I just lived there. I didn't have to go there to train. When the Air Force broke away from the Army in 1947, the Air Force kept the weather, but we had to give the Army weather support. So there's a lot of Air Force weather people assigned to Army units the same way now, too. So we were out with the tanks, soldiers, out in the field, sometimes, not too often. I was there for five and a half years. Uh, in the middle, during that time, I traveled to Spain to do another Special Forces exercise that all over Europe happened to be during Chernobyl. We were following the radiation cloud around Europe. There's things that happen there that don't happen in a lot of other places in, in the world. So the service time was fun. Then I ended up getting stationed here at Luke Air Force Base. I spent my last three years active duty at Luke Air Force Base. During that time, I deployed to Saudi Arabia, went to Riyadh for uh, three months, right after Desert Storm. About that time, I was in the middle of, my, of a marriage. It wasn't going well, and I decided that I needed to, to leave the military at the end of my enlistment. That was after 14 years. And you asked Julie, Having done that for so long while you were serving in the military, doesn't that stay with you? And I think my favorite part of Bob's response was, it does to a point, but it's gotten better where I can now see duckies and doggies. And I don't think that a lot of people realize that when you make this commitment to enlist, it's a day in and day out, and you have this job and this is what you're going to be doing here. I do really love that he said for him, this was a way for him to grow up and prove that he could do something, that it helped him grow up. So a weather forecaster in the military is, is vital. D-Day was, was decided by weather forecaster. They go, you've got a 24 hour break in a, a series of storms coming off the English Channel, North Atlantic, go now. You know, nowadays with technology, weather satellites didn't exist until the 1960s. Most people didn't have access to that information. So that was initially just a military operation. The difference between two inches of snow and 12 inches of snow is vital for cities, but it's also vital for military operations. How did you end up getting in touch with Bob? And prior to coming in for this interview, did you know what his job was in the Air Force? Thanks to, again, uh, this meeting that the diversity, equity, inclusion team went to, that's where we got the list of veterans. Thankfully, Bob basically signed up, took one for the team for us to be able to interview him. So that's how I got in touch with him from that list. All I knew about him at that point in time was that he was in the Air Force. And when I reached out to him to, you know, talk about the interview and what we were going to be asking him, he said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll save you some time and sent me this multiple page write up that was done by a high school student who um, interviewed him on his service prior to our interview. So yes, I did actually know about his military story and was very excited to hear him tell it because when you're reading through this piece of paper, you get a good idea of what his personality is like. So doing the interview and seeing his personality you know, in, in person was, was a lot of fun. And he's definitely a good storyteller. He is. I think out of all of the veteran interviews that we did, I probably mentioned to you that he was the funniest. And yeah, he's just a character. He's so. absolutely a character. Yeah. So like Bob mentioned, from the time he served in 1978 to 1993, we didn't have the technology to check the weather app on our phones and see what the weather was going to be like a week from today. Apps hadn't even been invented yet. 
So as uncommon as his job was, it was vital. I know I was fascinated in hearing Bob's service and his experiences doing a job that I didn't even know to think of as a military operation. But knowing that Bob did this and it was a very important job, what do you think it means to not only him, but to all veterans within our community to have this memorial dedicated to them? Having this memorial is huge for our veterans. It provides a space that they haven't had, especially here in the East Valley, to really sit down, reflect, be with their family, be with their friends, be with other comrades, remember their service, remember those we've lost. And the space is unique and you don't feel like you're right in the middle of a, a city. It's, it's a very special place and they put so much thought into the creation of it. I'm just really excited and hopeful that this space will provide healing and help honor our veterans. When you're turning a wrench at some Fort Polk, Louisiana in the middle of summer, you don't feel all that appreciated. When you're guarding a B-52 in Minot, North Dakota at 50 below zero, and that's without the wind chill, you don't feel all that appreciated. You want to know that your service is important. So you want to, 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 to keep that lineage going that what you're doing is important. You need to keep that memory alive. You need to keep that memory because a country that forgets its history forgets its, why it exists. It will give us a place to help people understand what the veterans community, what it means to serve, not just as a veteran, but the military also. Thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by the City of Chandler. And we also want to give a big thank you to all the veterans that gave us their time and let us listen to their stories. And that would be Mike Simon, Dave Waltzer, Cass Fachaponte, Nick Magianis, Bob Dalfi. We also were able to talk to Pearl Harbor survivor Jack Holder, as well as the veteran team at Hunter, who's building the memorial with Mike Gonzalez, Sean Osborne, Ed McCoy, and Austin Lathrop, and as well as um, our council members, Renee Lopez, Matt Orlando, and O.D. Harris. And a special thank you to Julie for co-hosting this episode with me and also editing the interviews you heard today. Make sure you check back next week for a new episode. And if you want to tap in with our social media, you can find us on all platforms through the city of Chandler and on voicesofchandler.com. There is a lot more veteran content that has and will be posted on our pages. So make sure you tap in with us. Take it easy.